This is the Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs podcast with Pastor Al Pittman. Thanks for joining us today as we take a look at Acts chapter 12. We're looking at persevering despite setbacks, being undeterred. Storms in life may be unavoidable, but God makes a way when the devil says no way. Pastor Al reminds us there can be no testimony without test. And with that, let's get to it. Here is Pastor Al. I've entitled this message, Undeterred. That's, you know, I was looking at some other titles, and I, I don't always give a title to the, the, the uh, Bible study, but I felt undeterred was appropriate. Undeterred, it means preserving, or persevering, excuse me, with something despite setbacks. Anybody ever experienced setbacks? <laughs> Hallelujah, amen. But I want you to know today that what God has called us to, to do, the devil can do nothing to deter it. Amen. Do you believe that for your life? What God has called you to do, the devil can do nothing to deter it. No amount of racism can deter God's purpose and will. No amount of violence can deter God's purpose and will. No amount of hatred can deter God's purpose and will. No amount of economic uncertainty can deter God's purpose and his will. His plans for us will stand for those who put their trust in him. And what is God's plan for you? Jeremiah 29 tells us, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. In our text, Peter finds himself in an impossible situation, yet God's purpose for him is not deterred. And God's purpose for your life, no matter what you're facing today or going through, is not deterred. I pray that this message will encourage and inspire you to know that your setback <laughs> is only a setup for God's ordained, divine, next great work that he has for your life. Do you believe that today? Amen. We begin here in verses 1 to 4. And uh, read along with me. We'll take this, of course, a section at a time. The Bible says here, now about the time, about that time, Herod the king stretches, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. He didn't want to do anything with Peter during the high holy day, the, un, the days of unleavened Bread. The Herod that is speaking about here is Herod Agrippa I, one of the sons of Herod the Great. He was popular among the Jews, as the Bible says here, because he was partly Jew. He was Hasmonean, Hasmoneans, or of the family of the Maccabees. 
There was a great Maccabean revolt, a Jewish revolt uh, against their enemies. The Maccabees were a priestly family dynasty of Jewish rulers who held power in, Ju- in Israel and Palestine uh, from about 135 B.C. to 63 B.C. But Herod uh, was known for appeasing the Jews. And he saw that, hey, killing James uh, appeased the Jews. They were pleased with that. He thought, well, it was politically, politically expedient to do that. Then he went on to incarcerate, to arrest Peter. And the Bible says that he did so during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the Feast of Passover is one day, but seven days after Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a total of eight days. So he was waiting for the end of those eight days, and then he's going to bring Peter out before the people. Herod had planned this, but men make their plans, and yet God directs their steps. God had other plans, amen? And Herod wanted to upset God's plan for Peter, but Peter would not be deterred because God had a purpose for his life. They assigned four squads uh, to Peter, four squads. One squad consists of four men, four soldiers, and there were four squads, 16 men assigned to keep Peter to make sure Peter did not escape uh, from jail Uh, because there was a jailbreak in Acts chapter 5 by the disciples, by the hand of God, and they thought, well, we got him now. We're going to assign 16 soldiers to make sure he doesn't get out this time. Amen. But Herod, again, failed to realize that the God Peter served is able to make a way where there seems to be no way. Amen. That's the God you serve. That's the God we serve through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. That he is the God of the uh, no, uh, no way, or the God is over no way. He's God that's able to make a way out of no way. The obstacles that we are facing today are merely opportunities for God to show out. Amen. Opportunities for God to show up. If you're facing an obstacle today, you go, there's just no way. The devil saying, there's no way. God says, watch me. Amen. And God will show out, amen? He will show himself off on behalf of his children. I think of the story in uh, 2 Kings, no, 1 Kings chapter 20, uh, there where Israel is, is at war with Syria. And they're going up against the king of Syria, King Ben-Hadad. Some of you may remember the story. And uh, Israel had one battle with them, with the Syrians. They defeated the Syrians. And uh, the king of Syria asked his, his uh, commanders and his wise men, you know, why were they defeated? You know, we're much better than Israel. You know, we should have, we should have beat them. And they gave him this, this explanation. They said, well, king, you know, the reason we were de- you were defeated is because their God is the God of the hills. And we were fighting them on the hills, on the mountains. But if we get them down in the valley, we'll be sure to defeat them. Well, God overheard the conversation. <laughs> and God sent a man of God to the king of Israel. And the Bible says, then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said the Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand and you shall know that I am the Lord. Amen. Amen. I love that God, God took it personal. God is saying, I'm not only God of your mountaintop, I'm God of your valley. You may be in a valley right now, and he is still God. Amen. He's no less God in the valley than he is on the mountaintop of your life. He takes your mission impossible. 
personal. And when the devil says, no way, God says, way. <laughs> Verses 5 to 7, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the, ch by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night, Peter was sleeping bound with two chains, not one chain, two chains, between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. <laughs> My God. Peter's in an impossible situation. But constant prayer was being offered for Peter's release. That phrase, constant prayer. My God, we need constant prayer, intercessory prayer for our nation today. And I thank God for the brothers and sisters, the, the different churches that showed up at Acacia Park yesterday in the rain to pray hundreds of people from the church coming out to pray. And it was an amazing event. It was powerful. Standing up to be a light in this dark time. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, what does that mean? I got to be on my knees you know, 24 hours a day, no. It means that you need to have an attitude, maintain an attitude of prayer, connection with God without ceasing. Talking to God when you're driving down the street. Amen. And, uh, of course, it's not as weird as it used to be 30, 40 years ago. People see you talking in your car, they call 911 and have you arrested or something. A crazy man. <laughs> now you got Bluetooth and stuff, so they don't know if you're talking on Bluetooth. You know, not talking on Bluetooth. Amen. You're talking... To the Father, but pray without ceasing in your car, you know, wherever you are, pray without ceasing. And why? Because prayer changes things. Most importantly, prayer changes you. <laughs> I like what the Puritan preacher, Thomas Watson, once said. He said, in relationship to this text, he said, The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer fetched the angel. Close quote. Amen. Pray. And notice something here that Peter was sleeping. I believe that Peter was sleeping because he had finally learned how to walk on water. Remember in Matthew chapter 14, uh, Jesus appeared to them walking on the sea during a storm, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, the disciples were afraid. They thought it was a ghost or whatever. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. He said, come on. Peter steps out of the boat. He's walking on water, but then he starts watching the waves and the wind, and he got his eyes off of Jesus like many times we do, and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And God, Jesus reached out and took his hand and brought him up and walked back with him to the boat. But he, 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 he kind of chastised him and said, why did you doubt? You're doing so well. But here we find Peter sleeping. Because I think, again, he had learned to walk on water, to rest in Jesus in the midst of the storm. 
In Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27, disciples find themselves on another, in another storm. The Bible says there that Jesus went into the boat, and the disciples followed Jesus, and he got into the boat, and immediately they were in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes when you're following Jesus, he'll lead you into a storm. <laughs> Sometimes we think, well, God, this can't be God. You know, things are going wrong. Well, <laughs> I was following the Lord. Lord, what happened? Nothing. You're just in a storm. And we have this mentality sometimes, I think, that uh, if I'm following Jesus, he should lead me around the storm. <laughs> Amen. The devil comes along and says, if he really cared about you, he would have took you around the storm. But he takes us through the storm. In Matthew chapter 8, they're in this storm and they're crying out, oh Lord, we're going to perish. Jesus chastises them and says, oh, ye of little faith. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And then they ask themselves, who can this be? That he commands the wind and the waves. Because the only one who can command the wind and the waves is God. Amen. You got to keep this in mind when you're going through a storm. Remember who's on the boat with you. Amen. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Here's what we do. We forget Jesus is in the boat. He was on the boat with them, but he was sleeping. And they were think, thought they were going to be perishing. Sometimes I think we have that attitude in the church today with everything going on. Oh, God, we're going to perish. Remember who's on the boat. <laughs> Amen. Remember that he is with you, that he is for you. Sometimes people say, well, how come he didn't take me around the storm? It's been so much easier. Listen, <laughs> there can be no testimony without a test. We want a testimony. Ooh, let me tell you what the law did for me. But we ain't gone through nothing. You got to go through some things. Paul said, I believe and I am persuaded. You can stop right there. Are you persuaded? How do you get persuaded? Reading a book? Going to Bible college? Got my MDiv, Master in Divinity. I don't care if you got a Master in Divinity, but you have a Master in Life. Yes. The way you get persuaded is you got to go through stuff. I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. So God's not going to take you around. You, you, you see the storm clouds, you think, oh, he's going to take me around that. No, he's going to take you right through it. And why does he do that? Because your greatest need is not avoiding the storm. Your greatest need is knowing the God who is in the storm. That's our greatest need. And the key to overcoming the impossible is remembering who's on the boat with you. David wrestled. He wrestled with storms. He wrestled with setbacks. But in the end, he, he knew that the setback was just a setup. That God was in the storm with him. Psalm 42, verses 6 to 11, for the sake of time, we won't read the whole passage. But if you go back and read it, there David's wrestling. He's like, God, where are you? He says, I'm, you know, he's, he's going through a difficult time. And his enemies are saying to him, where is your God? Have you heard that voice lately? Have you heard the devil saying, where is your God? Or even sometimes friends. You thought they were your friends. Where is your God? Some people ask me that today. You know, where is God? The country's in trouble. Where is God? All the fires and rioting. Hey, the reason the world's going through what it's going through is because they rejected God. We are, the, we are the purveyors of our own misery because we have turned our backs on God. And I'll say this, on the eve of Father's Day, 
all the looting and the murdering and all the stuff that is going on. A lot of it's the, the protest. There's no problem with that because if you protest peacefully, we have a right to do that. And we should protest when there's been an injustice. But a lot of the stuff that we're seeing and shooting cops and stabbing folks and tearing down people's livelihoods and their businesses, all these different things. And it makes me wonder on the eve of Father's Day, where are the fathers? And what we see gathering in our streets, I think, in a lot of ways is an absence of fatherhood. Because there is a greater virus and a greater plague in our nation, and it has to do with the fathers being absent in the lives of their children. I was saving that for Father's Day. I didn't put it out there already. (laughs) But David struggled. And he heard his enemy say, where is your God? Psalm 42, verses 6 to 11. And David was going through a difficult time, and he says in verse 11, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance. There's a yet in your situation. There's a yet. I know you may be down right now, but I shall yet praise him. What was David saying? He's saying, in other words, that this too shall pass. Amen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will remain forever. He was saying there that this too shall pass and that God's divine plan cannot be deterred in my life. I shall yet praise him. I may be down now, but oh, tomorrow I'm going to praise him. Weeping may come and endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning because God is a faithful God. David understood, I shall yet praise him. I know it looks like I'm in a mess, but I shall yet. (laughs) I shall praise him because God is faithful. Thus, Peter, having learned to walk on water, trusting God, hoping in God, was asleep. With his head, his mind resting upon the pillow of God's promises. Isaiah says, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Are you resting in the Lord today? Are you in the midst of the storm? Remember, who's in the boat with you? Verses 8 to 11, the Bible says, then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was still dreaming. When they went past the first and the second guard, guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. My God. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed 
from him. Wow. Verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Remember now, this is, this is Peter. Did I say it was Peter? Yeah, it was Peter. The same Peter who denied Jesus three times. Did he deserve God's deliverance? This is the same Peter who struggled with, I believe he struggled with racism. He had a problem with Gentiles. And God had to teach him a lesson on Simon the Tanner's roof and showed him that what God has cleansed, don't you dare call unclean. This is the same Peter, and yet God sent a messenger, an angel, to deliver him at a dark time in his life. You know what that tells me? When you belong to God, that his purpose cannot be deterred, and that God does not deal with us according to our sins. Thank God he does not deal with us according to our, our, our failures and our flaws. You said, well, I don't know about that, Pastor. Well, go back and read Psalm 103, verses 8 to 12. It says, God does not deal with us according to our iniquities. <laughs> well, those who put their faith in him, because he knows that we're flawed. And thank God he doesn't deal with us according to our iniquities. He does, he's not dealing with Peter here and say, well, Peter, I would deliver you. But, you know, remember that time <laughs> you denied me? Why? Because... When we confess our sins, he's able to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from not some, but from all unrighteousness. It was cleansed, been washed away. He deals with us according to mercy and grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not according to our iniquities when we walk with God. But notice three things here I want to point out before we move on. And that is, number one, God violated the authority of Rome's order. Uh. God, God violated Rome's order. What was Rome's order? Incarcerate Peter. Peter should have, a good Christian, you stay there. They told you, Peter. They ordered you to stay there. Peter, you should stay there. But God's a gangster. God is a straight up gangster. He busted Peter out of jail. Did he not? Did he not? Was Peter not under the government's order? God busted him out of jail. Now, I'm not, you know, I know what, you're, what he's insinuating here. And yes, I am insinuating that. But I'm just saying. But I'm just saying, you know, we are to obey authorities and we do obey authorities. You should always obey authority. We do until authority violates the order of God. And Peter said to the authorities in Jerusalem, the religious authorities, you judge for yourself when they said, don't preach in the name of Jesus. You judge. Should we obey God or should we obey man? And then we find God acting like a gangster, busting Peter out. My God. You know why? Because his word, he honors his word above his name and his word is our greatest priority. Here's the second thing I notice here, and that is that God delivers us for his purpose. The angel said, hey, Peter, <laughs> gird yourself. Gird yourself. What does that mean, gird yourself? Do you put, a, put your girdle on? No. <laughs> gird yourself. They would wear those long flowing robes, you know. 
And you can't run with those long flowing robes. They get in the way entangled. So they would grab the robe, pull it up between their legs so they can run. They got shorts now. They can run. Right. Gird yourself. Put your shoes on. Why? Because God didn't deliver you to sit around and just go to church and be a nice person. He delivered you so he might use you for his glory and for his purpose. God is getting ready to do something. Some of you need to gird yourself up, put your shoes on because God's getting ready to move. He's getting ready to move in your life. Gird yourself. Amen. So you can run. Amen. I thank God that, you know, we don't wear platform shoes anymore. Back in the 70s. Hey, you know, that's why crime was down in the 70s, because you couldn't run that fast. Amen? You, you ever try to run in platform shoes? No, you can't do it. Thank God the 70s are over. Hallelujah. And you couldn't run, and you couldn't follow God. You couldn't, you know, follow the Lord. You couldn't run unless you gird yourself up. You had to grab that, that extra loose material, that which is loose and hanging down, and pull it up. And some of us need to let, let, grab those things in our life that have been loose, and we need to, to come to God and bring them to God and say, Lord, help me to run with you. I don't want that hanging down there, inhibiting me, Lord, from following you and running and tripping over stuff. I'm going to grab that so I can run after your heart, dear God. Gird yourself. Because God didn't deliver you to just stand around. He has a purpose for his church, especially today. God is about to do something in your life. Here's the third thing. And that is that faith is required beyond the gate. God opened the gate for Peter. The Bible says the gate opened on its own accord. That was God opening the gate. And then immediately, the angel disappeared. God will lead you many times. He'll open the gate for you. But then the rest of the way, you've got to go by faith. Are you with me? He, you know, there's times in your life where you feel God so close, you got Holy Ghost goosebumps. You got your praise on. And then there are times... God, where are you? I don't feel nothing. I was talking to a brother the other day. He said, I don't feel anything. You know, I said, well, but you don't walk by your feelings. You walk by his word. We walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. Faith in what? In your feelings? No, faith in God's word. And so God, many times, you know, you feel God close. There's times I've got so much clarity from the Lord. I like, whoa, this is God. And there's other times I'm like, Lord, where are you? You know, I don't know, know what's going on. And those are the times I have to walk by faith. He opened the door for you. He opened the gate. But beyond the gate, sometimes it requires faith. Now, Peter, here's what we do sometimes. Peter could have said, well, I don't feel nothing. Angel left me. So let me go back in here, put the, shank, the, the, the handcuffs on, you know, and let me lay down here by the, you know, he could have gone back to where he was. This is what a lot of believers do because they're walking by their feelings, not by faith. But faith will take you through the gate into God's purpose. And the reason God does that, the reason he takes us so far and then sometimes he has a walk away, he's by faith, don't feel anything. And then he shows, you know, you sense God's presence again. You go, whoa, man, that was awesome. And then it's gone and you kind of feel like you're by yourself. He's teaching us to walk by faith. Why? Because he doesn't want you to just read about his power. He wants you to know his power. He wants you to know his power through his word. And so that's what we find Peter saying here in verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain. 
I know. It's a personal experience. Nobody can know for you. Pastor knows for me, so we go down to hear what the pastor has to say. <laughs> no, you got to know for yourself. Peter said, now I know for certain. Because he's now walking by faith. He's trusting in God. He knows that God has opened the door and made a way out of no way. Verse 12 to 17, the Bible says here in Acts chapter 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. This is John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. The nephew, excuse me, of Barnabas. And the Bible says here, and it gets a little comical here, uh, and came to uh, John Mark's house, his, his mother's house, where many were gathered together praying. What were they praying about? Lord, deliver Peter from prison. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. <laughs> Peter's knocking at the door. Who is it? Hey, it's me, Peter. Let me in. You know, she runs and she's so happy she forgets to let him in. Amen. <laughs> she doesn't let him in. And she runs back, you know. And here these folks are and they're praying. And so they're praying. What? For what? Peter to be released. Constantly praying. And she goes back to them. She tells them that Peter's at the gate. But they, verse 15, but they said to her, you are beside yourself. I mean, isn't that just like us sometimes? You're praying for the very thing. The answer's at the door. And, and somebody says, the answer's at the door. And it's like, you, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. We're praying for Peter for his release in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Wow. You know, we're speaking in tongues, doing whatever. We're just praying up a storm for Peter to be released. And Peter's at the door. And when somebody says, Peter's at the door, instead of saying, oh, praise the Lord, he answered prayer, we go, are you out of your mind? <laughs> you see, it's always, I'm glad somebody's laughing at that. That's, that's funny to me. But then I think a lot of times we do that ourselves. And yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is an angel. It's Peter's angel. Now Peter, still knocking at the door. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Shocked that it was Peter. But motioning to them with his hand. To keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. <laughs> Again, it just is it's amazing here. And I think it's a great lesson here uh, for us. That when we pray, do we really... Pray with a heart of expectation. And there are cases in my life where I've been praying for something and then the answer will come and I go, you know, like, no, it can't be God, you know. And God said, here's the answer, you know. Or, Lord, should I do such and such? And the Lord clearly says no. And you go, Lord, you sure about that? You know, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're strange creatures. But when we pray, we have to pray with, a, with an expectancy, with faith. The definition of faith, Hebrews 11.1, 1, you know, now faith is the substance of things hope, hoped for, the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
Truly believing God, praying by faith. But notice something here. Unexpected prayer has basically three characteristics. We can call them characteristics. Unexpected prayer. That's somebody, sometimes we pray, but we're not really expecting anything from God, just like they were praying here. Constantly praying, still, you know, they weren't really expecting God to answer the prayer. And we know that because the, their first response to the girl coming is saying, hey, it's Peter. You know, it should have been, oh, it's Peter. Praise the Lord, he has a prayer. It was unbelief. So they were praying in unbelief. And then they moved from unbelief to spiritism. In other words, you know, they said, oh, it's Peter's angel. So this must be, oh, I get it. This is his angel, see. And, well, it, no, it could be Peter. But they thought it was his angel, just spiritualizing it. That's what we do many times when God doesn't answer prayer the way we want or we can't comprehend what God is able to do. We go, oh, I see God was doing this so that this would happen. Oh, I see. We're trying over-spiritualizing sometimes. That's not what God was doing at all. It wasn't Peter's angel. God was answering prayer. And so we move from unbelief to, to, uh, uh, to spiritism to astonishment. Peter comes in and they go, everybody's shocked that God is really that good. Everybody's shocked that God actually answered the prayer. And that's usually in my life where I go, oh, I knew God was going to come through. (laughs) Did you really? (laughs) Thank God for his faithfulness. And when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. In verses 18 and 19, the Bible says, then soon as it was day, uh, their day, there was no small stir, stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death, all 16 soldiers. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea on the coast of the Mediterranean and stayed there. Kind of a nice little resort for Herod. God performed a major miracle in that what God did in releasing Peter from jail, the world could not see. They were standing right there and Peter, they couldn't see what God was doing. And I think of the words of King David in Psalm 23. Lord, you prepare a table for me before my enemies. Your enemies can't see what God's doing. Why? Because the carnal man, the carnal mind cannot comprehend the things of the spirit. And a lot of times people that are shouting at you, they're mad at you and all of this. And God has set before you in the presence of your enemy a spread. Talk about me all you want. Throw rocks at me, do whatever you want to do. God has prepared a table for me to feast. And while you're running your mouth, I'm eating. Mm. Oh, really? Oh, I'm a jerk. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. And I'm just feasting because God has set a table for me in the very presence of my enemies. In the very presence of Peter's enemies, God delivered him. In the very presence of whatever you're going through, God still has a plan for you. And God is going to work a miracle on your behalf. In the presence of your enemy. Well, when my enemies are gone, then God's going to do something. No. While they're standing there yelling at you, God has prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I love that. And I love what Isaiah said in regards to our Lord not being deterred 
Even in the presence of our enemies, the Bible says, indeed, I have spoken, the Lord God says, I have spoken it, and I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will also do it. What God has done here at Calvary Worship Center, what God has done in your life, God has done it. It wasn't your ingenuity. It wasn't anything that you've done. God, by his grace, has done it. David said, who am I and my family that God should be so good to me? Nobody did this for me. God has done this. It is God and God alone. He said, I spoke it, and I will also do it. Oh, I got to say this and move on quickly. In 1974, in the the fall of 74, I've said this many times, but I'm saying it again to the glory of God. God spoke to me in a Nazarene Bible college class, and all I heard him say, and I could taste the words in my mouth. He said, preach my word. Let me tell you, it's been a long journey since then, but God has done this. God has done this. He will keep you. All my stupidity, all the mistakes I've made, the sins in my life, things that I've done, turned my back on God, all these things. He had determined that you will not be deterred because I have spoken it and I will also bring it to pass. Amen. So don't you give up on God. God's not going to give up on you. If he's spoken a blessing over you, Balaam said, I want to curse him so bad, but he is blessed and I cannot curse. You cannot deter what God has done. Oh, you rest in that. By way of application, I think because Peter was resting in Christ, that he was able to see what God was doing. Gehazi, you may not know about this guy, but Gehazi, he was a servant of Elijah. And Elijah the prophet. And the king of Syria was angry with Elijah. And he wanted to go and apprehend Elijah, so he sent an army out. They circled the city where Elijah was. I mean, cities weren't that big in that day, but they circled the whole place where he was staying. Gehazi gets up the next day, Elijah's servant, he's a young man, he gets up and he sees this this mighty Assyrian army surrounding, you know, the city. And he cries out, alas, oh master, what are we going to do? And I think sometimes even in today's uh, society, we're seeing all these things going on around the country. And some people in the church are like, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. We, there's nothing. You know, what can we do? And I love it. The young man's crying out, well, what are we going to do? And the old man prays. <laughs> the Bible says, and Elijah prayed. And he said, Lord, I pray open, this, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. May God open our eyes to see that those who are for us is more than those who are against us, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And because we know that, then we can move forward. We can gird ourselves and move forward as a church and be about our father's business, be about his divine purpose and will for your life. We don't have to be governed by the spirit of fear that is in this world. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. Amen. For his glory. May God open our eyes to see. The multitude that is for us, to know that if God is for us, then no one can be against us. In fact, the Bible says that he's the God of breakthrough. 
no matter what is surrounding you today. He's the God of breakthrough. David said this in 2 Samuel chapter 5, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the place, David did, where he was at, he called the place Baal Perazim or Bel Perazim. Baal Perazim literally means master of breakthrough. That's your God. You don't know how to get out of it, but he's the master of breakthrough. You cannot be deterred because he's able to deliver you no matter what you're going through, just as he delivered Peter. In conclusion, verses 20 to 25, we see a great example of God's undeterred purpose. Because in verse 20, the Bible says, Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are located in modern-day Lebanon. But they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. In Caesarea, those of you who've been to Israel with us, right there on, by the Mediterranean Sea. Remember, we were there, we saw the ruins, and it was that huge villadrome or whatever they call it, the, the track where they used to race uh, chariots and horses on. And above that was a place where the kings and all used to sit. This is the place where Herod Agrippa I is speaking from right now. And he begins to give this oration. And the Bible says, and the people kept shouting, the voice of God and not a man. Oh, his head began to swell. The voice of God and not a man. And there, his head was just, you could just see him, his head swelling. They're basically calling him God. And the Bible says, then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. The end. <laughs> A great warning to those who are in our government who rule over the people. Don't rob God of his glory. There's worse things that have happened to America as government officials and people in power refuse to give God glory. God's not playing. He did this to Herod Agrippa I. You did not give me my glory. Didn't say they had to be Christian or anything else, but by instinct, we ought to know, hey, we need God. And we have people in power today who don't recognize God at all. And God took it personal. He did not give me glory. God sent an angel and touched him and he became infected with worms and he died. I was reading... There was an article from back in uh, 2002, an ABC News article, regarding Herod's death. And doctors have come to a consensus and they agreed that he died from this, the following. I quote, chronic kidney disease complicated by a very uncomfortable case of maggot-infested gangrene of the genitals. Yeah, you want to die. 
<laughs> Herod died in 44 A.D. Because he did not give God his glory. But look at verse 22. Then on an up note. But the word of God grew and multiplied. God will not be deterred. Man is with all his power and influence and might and people worshiping him and all of this will come to an end. But God's will will not be deterred. And God declared and decreed that his word would go forth and no weapon formed against it would prosper. And the gospel is still going forth today. And Herod has been dead in his grave since 44 A.D. God will not be deterred. And the gospel continued. The church grew and was multiplied. And so it is today. Romans 8, you know it very well, many of you. What then shall we say to these things? What things? The riots, the violence, the anger, all the stuff that's out there. What should we say to these things? Hey, we'll say this. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him, with him, not apart from him, with him, also freely give us all things? Amen. Thanks for catching today's episode of Pastor Al Pittman's teaching on the CWCCS podcast. If you haven't already, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if this message hit home for you, share it with a friend. You can also support this ministry and these free teachings by visiting cwccs.org and click on Give. While you're there, you can also find the full archive of teachings from Al Pittman by clicking on the sermons link. That's cwccs.org. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.